Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Craig Dyson. My wife, Kara, and I are the pastors of Convo Church, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope this message inspires you, encourages you, and builds your faith. Enjoy the message. Last week, we started a, a new series, uh, and it's called Uncensored Holy Spirit. And uh, so we're going to continue to dive into it, and I've had some people even kind of helping me and praying for me because there's, there's you know, some destination points that I want to get to with this, but I realize that um, how God is speaking and laying this out for us as a church is rather systematic, and I'm, I'm okay with that. So today, I'm excited about what we're going to unlock, and, uh, and I want to echo what Andrea was saying about Engage as well. I've had so many people coming up, hey, I want to get on the dream team. How do I do that? How can I start serving? And that's it. And so, and then a lot of the people that say that to me, I see them walk out the back when we're done. I'm like, hey, hey, why don't you go ahead and hop in there, and we'll do that, and you can go a little bit later. It's going to be fantastic. So join us and engage afterwards. But now that I've said that, let's open up our Bibles. Uh, today is part two of the series, and we always encourage people to be taking notes. And uh, the reason why we take notes with what we talk about at church is because we aren't just checking a religious box for your Sunday. We are speaking to your Monday through your Saturday. And I'm telling you, even with the topic of us uh, uncovering, uncensoring the Holy Spirit through the context of the church, what we are going to be uncovering is something that it's, it's bigger than your Monday through Saturday. It's talking about your entire identity, your entire existence of who you are and who God made you to be. And so this is part two, and I'm going to go ahead and give you the title for today, Why Jesus Had to Go. Somebody say, he's got to go. I know that's weird to say when you're in church to say that Jesus has got to go. You're like, okay, maybe it's time for me to go if they're t- trying to get Jesus out of church. That's not what we're saying, but we'll get into it. You'll see where we're going with this. So I'm going to go ahead and let's turn, if you will, if you have, a, if you have a, uh, the old school Bible with you that has pages, you can turn with me to the book of John. It's in one of the Gospels in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're going to go to chapter 16, and I'm going to read a couple of verses there. And then we're actually going to go a few pages later into the book of Acts and read a few verses there. So just, uh, you can turn there, you can go to the YouVersion Bible app and join me, uh, or it'll be up on the screen behind me as well. And uh, in John chapter 16, I'm going to read verses 5 through 7. And uh, in my Bible, these are red letters. That tells me that Jesus is speaking. How many of you know it's good when Jesus is speaking? Come on. <clears throat> he says, but now I am going away to the one who sent me. And not one of you, he's speaking to his disciples right here, and not one of you is asking where I am going. Instead, you grieve because of what I told you. But in fact, it is best for you that I go away. Somebody say best. Not it's good, not it's it's better. Jesus says it's best for you that I go away because if I don't, the advocate, the comforter, the Holy Spirit won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you, and he will come. That's that's for another time. I'll stop at verse 7 right there. Okay, so now flip over. There's only a couple pages more if you're in in your paper Bible, and go to the book of Acts chapter 1, and I'm going to read a few verses to you here as well. So just follow along with me because we're going somewhere. Acts chapter 1, the the author of Acts is Luke, one of the the, uh, disciples of Christ. He was also a physician. 
And so just kind of a little side, a fun point, when you're reading through the book of Luke or you're reading through Acts, uh, you get the details of a physician. You get, it's, there's a lot more details on how he creates that account. I love it. So we're reading in chapter 1, starting in verse 1. And he says, in my first book, I told you, Theophilus, this was the person that Luke was writing this letter to, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instruction through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after he suffered, talking about the crucifixion and then the resurrection of Christ, after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time. A little sidebar, I find that an interesting detail. The group of men and also women that were following him for three and a half years of nonstop togetherness and relationship, you would think that after such a miraculous situation of a resurrection from the dead, the cross, all these things, that he would just randomly and sporadically appear to his closest friends and followers, you know, just a few times here and there over the next 40 days. I just find that interesting. Um, it says, he appeared to him from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive, and I'll insert that they weren't crazy. <laughs> he was actually alive, and he talked to them about the kingdom of God, and I would love this. Verse 4 says, once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John, talking about John the Baptist, if you were reading through the Gospels, John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the, the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? They were still kind of not quite getting what Jesus was about in that moment. And Jesus said in verse 7, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power. Somebody say, I will. Because he's talking to you too. These are, these are Jesus' words. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit, somebody say the Holy Spirit, comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In Reno, in Sparks, in Carson, in the western part of our nation, and to the ends of the earth. Can I pray for you this morning? Just close your eyes for a second. Father, we love you. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that we don't have to, to just wonder how we're supposed to do this thing called life. Father, we don't have to wonder how to be a Jesus follower. We don't have to wonder what it means to have faith and to live it out. Father, you've given us your word. And Father, we thank you also that uh, in accompaniment, in partnership with your word, you have given us your Holy Spirit to not just live inside of us and to be silent and to be quiet and to, to play the background, but to empower us for supernatural things, to be men and women of God that you created us to be, to be fully emboldened and empowered to do the same works and even greater things than you did when you were here on this earth. So Father, we pray in the time that we have together this morning, Lord, that you would open up our hearts, open up our ears, got any distractions that may be in front of us. Father, I pray, Father, even right now, supernaturally, that you would remove the distractions, that you would remove the hurdles, that you would remove the barriers that we and life have put up in front of us that have created distance between you and us. Father, we pray today in this place that you would continue to do a transformational work 
inside every single one of us, God, as we learn and grow to realize that this life is not our own, but Father, that you placed us here with the purpose. We ask it in the mighty name of Jesus. Can somebody say amen? amen? Just remember, you're not in a quiet church today. This is a place where we like to make a little noise, and so if you hear something, it's okay to say amen, preach that, come on, shout me down, stand up, throw a hanky at me. I've said throw chairs before, that's a bad idea, don't throw chairs, people get hurt, but nonetheless, I want you to respond, because here's what happens when you respond. It doesn't just make me feel good, which I think it actually does make me preach better, but it, it helps you engage with what God is speaking. And it actually begins to help the people next to you also engage, because this isn't a TED talk, this is God speaking through his word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, all right. let me tell you a quick story. So we, uh, uh, as we kind of mentioned last week, my family and I had the opportunity to go take a little family trip uh, about a week ago or so. And uh, we got to take our kids to go experience some stuff over in London. And then we trusted structural integrity of smart people and took that, that train that goes under the English Channel over to Paris and, and it didn't collapse. That's great. So they did a good job. And so we... I love being married to my wife for a, probably 450 million reasons, but here's one of them. Here's one of them. She is fearless in other countries. We go to different places, and even if we don't speak the language, she still walks in like she's fully confident and just goes at it. Here's a little something about me. In some of these places, I tend to be, I don't know, a little intimidated when I know that I don't have the communication ability to adequately speak or communicate with people around me. And for whatever reason, I don't know, while we were in Paris, I felt like in me, this, this, these senses were heightened. And I was having a hard time. So we got there, and we uh, you know, got to the place we were staying and dropped some stuff off. And so you know, the first thing you do when you get to a place like that is you find a bakery. Everybody knows this. That's <laughs> what we did. And so we walk in, and, and uh, you know, they, they, they give you the greeting, and Kara responds with the greeting, and then just for the full confidence, you know, follows up with a hey, so they know that you're Americans. Like, let's just go ahead and, let's just go ahead and cut the pretense. We're just here to give you some of our money for some of those things that look really good. And so we got the croissants. We got the other stuff. We walked out. We're happy. And so the next day we wake up, and it just happens to be my wife's birthday. And um, that's right. Lots of woo. And uh, so on this day, she says, would you like to go and get the croissants? And I paused, and these feelings in my stomach began to, I mean, you mean by myself? She said, yeah. <laughs> I know. I needed it. And so all of a sudden, I felt sweaty. I felt like my mouth was drying up. And I started to think to myself, okay. Okay, well, it's her birthday, so I'm going to do it. How do I do this? All right, how many, how many people are in her family? There's five. How many croissants? We need five. What's the French word for five? I don't know. So I'm downloading Google Translator, as any smart person would do, and use the interweb to help you, help you out in this situation. And then I start thinking to myself, what's the French word for croissant? Turns out <laughs> it is croissant. So that, at least I knew that. And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this. And it, and it turns out, and please... The joke will unfold even more later because I know when I say these words, I've learned in process that as I say it, it doesn't sound like it's supposed to say. So you're just going to have to deal with what they, uh, those in Paris dealt with as well. And so it turns out the, the, the word for number five is sank, something like that. Do I, don't correct me because I know you've got it. You're like, oh, Pastor Craig, that's, that's precious. Anyway, 
And so I spent, I, I, hit, that, I hit that audible button because it says it for you like 30, 30 different times. And I'm just spending all this time on the word five because I know I needed five of the croissants uh, that have chocolate, which apparently is chocolate with, with a better accent. And so, and so I'm like, all right, I'm ready. I'm ready to go. I'm going to walk up the door. I'm like, here's my oldest son. I'm like, Colby, you're coming with me. I need backup. So we're walking a couple of blocks. We get to the place. I've got money in hand. Anyone ever seen Seinfeld? Ever seen the episode of the Soup Nazi? Where they're like, money, soup, you know, step to the side. That's what I felt like. I don't know. You had to see it to understand. But I, I step up. They make eye contact. They see me. They give the greeting. I, I, I attempt to reciprocate the greeting. And then I step up, and I just sank chocolate croissant here. And I point. And you just point. These. And so she, she smirks at me. It, it, it looked friendly. She smirked at me. I made an effort. Stepped to the side, gave the money, got the stuff, and I'm like, I just crushed that. Mic drop. Boom. In my head, I had a beautiful Parisian accent, and I came back. But here's the thing. Had my wife been with me, I never would have stepped out to realize what I was capable of in that moment. I would have relied on the fact that she was there in the flesh to do all the stuff that I was uncomfortable with doing. But I was forced into a moment to realize that I needed help. I also found out from my kids later that my accent needs substantial help. Because I was trying so hard to not sound like I was from Southern Virginia. But it just comes out, bonjour, merci, beaucoup, saint chocolat croissant, por favor. Wrong language, Craig, wrong language, you know. But anyway, so it worked out, it worked out. But, but let, me, let me read this passage to you one more time. Check this out. In John 16, 5 through 7, Jesus says, But now I'm going away to the one who sent me. And not one of you is asking where I'm going. Instead, you grieve because of what I told you. But in fact, it is best, again, that specific word, it is best for you that I go away. Because if I don't, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, the comforter won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. Now, for us, we have, to, we have to, I think we have to really think to process the context because you and I have never walked around with Jesus in the flesh. We don't know what it is like for literally three and a half years of day-to-day-to-day moments of following, like we talk about following Jesus. We want to be Jesus followers. But these guys literally every single day in the flesh follow Jesus. It wasn't a spiritual term. It was a physical action. And so they got to follow Jesus and see him uh, 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 they saw him raise the dead. They saw him uh, to open up blind eyes. They saw him help people who were crippled be able to stand up, take up their mat, and run home. He saw lepers cured. He saw people who were demon-possessed completely set free. And there were some moments where Jesus sent them out in different pockets to, to, to try out what he was showing them. And, uh, but even in that, they had success, but it was nothing like being able to come back and realize that, okay, I tried it, that was terrifying, we saw God move, but at least I get to come back and touch Jesus, and he's there, and I know that if, if I didn't do it right, he's going to give me a hug and tell me it's okay and say, hey, next time, try this. So, so to be in that environment and have Jesus tell you, guys, remember I was telling you about the crucifixion stuff and y'all didn't believe me, didn't understand you know, I said I was on the third day I was going to rise, and remember how I did? And they're like, yeah, that was awesome. We totally didn't think you were going to do that. I did, yeah, okay, well, well guys, now i got to go. Where, where are you going? 
No, I got, I got to go back to the Father. It's like, is that, a, is that another metaphor? Is this another parable we need to understand? No, no, I'm literally, physically, I have to go back where I came from and I have to leave you, but I won't leave you as orphans. I won't leave you as fatherless orphans. I'm going to send my spirit to be with you. Because remember guys, I told you that I was gonna send you all over the world and you're gonna have an international ministry. Remember that? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I guess. Well, you, how are you gonna do that with me in the flesh? I'm only, see, because God, I mean, Jesus was fully God, 100%, but he was also 100% man. He could only be at one place at one time. So even if we were to think to ourselves, it still kind of would have been cool since Jesus was already in his glorified self. He already defeated death. He rose from the dead. He was no longer gonna die again. To just hang around. Because, I mean, he could travel, right? Jesus could travel, and he doesn't have to use an airplane. He could just, boom, another place, boom, another country. He could just go from church to church. That would have been awesome, right? We're like, yeah, but you know what would happen? Is we'd still be following him around, watching him do the stuff that all along he was trying to teach us to do. <clears throat> it doesn't take faith to watch someone else do what you say you have faith to do yourself. Faith is found real in the actions of those who believe. In the book of James chapter 2, James actually says it this way. Oh, you have, you have faith by what you say? That's fantastic. You believe in God? Good for you. So does the devil. So you've just put yourself on that equal playing field with your level of belief. He goes, you show me your faith by what you say. I'll show you my faith by what I do. So we kind of have a culture in our nation where faith is something that we talk about, faith is something that we argue about, but when it comes to the actual demonstration of what our faith is actually supposed to be about, we're not doing, we're observing. We gather and we talk about it, and we read stories about it, and then we go home and we live without it. Doesn't mean that you don't believe, it just means that we are struggling to do the things that we say we believe. And I think that's maybe because we are missing an element in our life that was put there by Jesus to give us what we need so that we can do the things God's called us to do. Because here's something that we have, you have to wrap your mind around this before you leave today. You cannot do what God has called you to do without the power of God to do it. You can't. Now that doesn't mean that you can't in moments and pockets muster up some courage, step out in faith and just try something and that you won't have success at it. But we're not talking about a one and done. We're not talking about, oh, I tried that once and it worked well and it wore me out. We're not talking about how, you know, I've been serving in church and I'm exhausted. And so I'm going to stop. We're not talking about how, well, I tried that thing with my coworkers that you said I should try, and, and it was, uh, didn't work out like you said it might work out, and so I'm not going to do that again. We're not talking about one-time moments of attempting something that seems supernatural. We're talking about a daily lifestyle of living in the supernatural power of God that transforms not just the way that you think, not just the way that you believe, but it transforms the way that you act. It transforms your actions. It transforms your attitude. It transforms the way that you see your Monday. It transforms the way that you see your employment situation. It transforms the way that you see your marriage. It transforms everything. 
Because the Holy Spirit was not meant to be something that just warmed us up when we feel cold on a Sunday morning. The Holy Spirit is supposed to be something that literally sets you on fire. That's a metaphor if you're new to this. That sets you on fire to be a Jesus follower and unlock what God says you were born to be. So listen, we don't, we don't need the Holy Spirit to believe. We need the Holy Spirit to do. The purpose of, a, the purpose of being a Jesus follower, if I can break it down this simply, is really twofold. I'm sure we could think of other things. But it's twofold, to be and to do. To be an intimate relationship with God and to do the work that Jesus gave us to do and empowered us to do through the Holy Spirit. We cannot be completely, I'm sorry, we cannot be complete in our identity and purpose without both of these. To be is our identity in Christ. To do is our purpose in Christ. Let me say that again because somebody needs to write that down. To be is our identity in Christ. To do is our purpose in Christ. We need the Holy Spirit to accomplish both. The Holy Spirit transforms us from the inside out, freeing us from sin and giving us new life. That's our identity. And the Holy Spirit empowers us to do the works of Jesus and even greater. Now let me read that verse to you in John 14, 12. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done, and even greater works, what? Because I am going to the Father. Check this out. I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do. It's not enough to believe in Jesus and then nothing happens. That's what the enemy of God does. And that should convict somebody this morning in a positive way. Doesn't mean that you're on team devil, <laughs> that's not what that means. It doesn't mean that you are a horrible person. It means that you need to identify where you are in the growth of your journey with Christ and not be okay with staying in the same place. And it's not something, again, that you can muster up on your own strength. You need the Holy Spirit. You need the Spirit. That's why Jesus went away, because he says it's going to be best for you so I can send you the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the thing. Sometimes we talk about that verse. Jesus said, you'll do even greater things than me. And we're like, greater? How greater? Jesus pretty much kind of did it all. How is it going to be greater than what he did? Because he, he raised the dead, he, you know, blind eyes, healing, cripple, all this stuff, cast out demons. He raised himself from the dead. That's not too shabby. Like he's not, okay, he raised him from the dead. I'm going to raise myself from the dead. That's power, right? Yeah. Uh, but I, I don't think the greater has to do with the actual things that we do. It's the amount that gets done because we're now talking about multiplication in the kingdom of God. Jesus is one person, so he could go and do one, do one, do one. But all of a sudden, all of us, now, I mean, let's just look in this room. If every single one of us, empowered by the Holy Spirit, went out into our world this week and began to do the works of Jesus, just what's in this room is going to be greater than what Jesus did. But the kingdom of God is billions of people across our planet. Imagine if billions of people began to grasp the concept that there is no limitations to doing what God says you can do when you're doing it through the power that he wants to give you. So the we're like, how come churches aren't growing? How come in America alone, every year, there's about four to 5,000 churches that close their door in America every single year? Why is that happening? Because we're missing something. And I don't mean to, to oversimplify the diagnosis, but the reality is, is that for the most part, we have censored the Holy Spirit in the church in America. 
for many different reasons. We're, we're uncomfortable with it or we haven't been taught what the Bible actually says. We've been given bits and pieces of it based on what people have broken down and turned into a theology of comfort instead of a theology of power. And on top of that, maybe on the flip side of that, instead of the Holy Spirit being something that is supposed to empower us for a life that we live outside, we've turned the Holy Spirit into an ecstasy drug that we take when we're in church. So instead of it transforming us so that we can go out and transform the world, we're treating God like he's a drug. And we judge the atmosphere where we are based on how we feel And that determines whether we think the Holy Spirit showed up or whether he did not. So the Holy Spirit, you know, just because the Holy Spirit is here doesn't mean that I walk around and start pushing people down and pulling out the modesty blankets. And if you haven't been in church for a long time, you don't know what that is, and that's okay, don't worry. That's what I grew up in. It's like, oh, bring out the modesty blankets, cover up the ankles. God is on the move, you know, it's like... You know, if you really think about it, it can become rather silly, the things that we put, the, whole, the boxes that we put the Holy Spirit in. <clears throat> and sometimes it's silly, the boxes that we try to rip apart to take the Holy Spirit out. If we could just say, hey, what did Jesus say? What did the Word of God say? How did the Holy Spirit begin to unfold in the early church? Something you need to know when you read the Bible is that when something happens for the first time, like a first-mentioned principle, That is a very important uh, point in scripture because it is showing you how God desires to see these type of things happen throughout the course of history as he continues to move and operate within his people. I love that. Those who believe in me will do. We can't do more than Jesus did indeed because he, I think he did it all. We can do it more in quantity, by being an empowered church. And I tell you, I'm, I'm here to encourage somebody here that's you've never heard of this stuff before. We'll tackle some of the religious stuff in later weeks. But right now, I just, I'm praying and I'm hoping that we will see people that have never heard of, never encountered, never knew that there was a Holy Spirit. Another thing we'll get to later, there's this really cool guy named Apollos. And, and he got saved because he heard about Jesus and he believed the gospel and he, he turned into one of the most powerful preachers of, of the gospel. And, and he didn't even know that there was a Holy Spirit until a couple of disciples came to him later who, were, who had been impacted by the ministry of Paul, Priscilla and Aquila, and they began to speak to Apollos like, man, you're, you're doing such a great job. But what they were trying to say is you could do even more. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? He's like, what's that? Okay, we got some work to do. And it says that from that point on, the ministry of Apollos even began to change and transform. And so that's why it's not enough to stop with Jesus. That's why Jesus had to go. Because Jesus says, hey, it's best. Because I've got something that I'm going to give you. It's my, my very spirit. It's the spirit of Christ. It's the spirit of our Father being placed inside of us to give us power. So here's two real quick things. This is why I think Jesus had to go. Number one, we would never step out in faith to do what people need us to do. Because we just, well, Jesus showed, he'll take care of it. And even though he's not here in the flesh, a lot of us still do that, don't we? Well, Jesus loves him, he'll take care of it. He, he does, he, Jesus does miracles, it's not me anyway. We got this false humility in the church world 
that we've used as an excuse to not do what God's asked us to do. Like, it's not about me. It's just Jesus. It's not about me. No, it's, it's quite a bit about you. Because there's a reason why Jesus left. Because he wanted to put what he did and could do into your hand. So that you could receive the Spirit of God for your life. And then begin to do the things that we've seen Jesus do. Second reason is I think, listen, this is so important. The world will be attracted to people like them who possess something life-giving that they don't possess. I was talking to somebody recently, and they were just in awe of the fact that since they've given their life to Christ, and even more recently since they've become so passionate about who they are in Christ, they're like, it just seems like all the people that, we've, that we love that have been a part of our life even before we came to Christ are now, for some reason, they're just coming to us and asking us about our faith. They're just coming to us and asking us about this Jesus stuff. And I told them, I was like, that's normal. That's how it's supposed to be. Because when we, when we get transformed from the inside out, it shouldn't just stop on the inside. It's trying to get out. And for far too long, for 2,000 or some years, we've been trying to box in the Holy Spirit and just keep them in our hearts. When the Holy Spirit's like, why are you trying to hold me back? Because I'm in here so I can get out there. We'll get there. We'll get there. Thanks again for listening to the Convo Church Podcast. If you enjoyed this message, do us a favor. Subscribe to this podcast, rate and review us on iTunes, and share our podcast with your family, friends, and team members. If you live in the Reno area, come and be a part of Convo Church. Check us out on ConvoChurch.com and follow us on social media at Convo Church. We'll see you next time here on the Convo Church Podcast.